Eileen Purdy buys the communion bread. Every single week, week after week after week, unless she's away, in which case Geraldine buys the communion bread. It's a little ministry that Eileen has, and she orders her week around it so that every Friday afternoon, probably precisely at whatever time, Eileen stops at the bakery at Hannaford and picks up this special Portuguese bread, special ordered with no flour on top because the flour makes a mess, and then comes to Hope Gateway to drop it off. It's an important ministry. It's a behind-the-scenes thing that she does. That's a tremendous gift. And it's important because our worship wouldn't be complete without a beautiful loaf of bread to break and share, right? And this Portuguese bread is actually perfect for communion. It's a little bit chewy. It's a little bit sweet. It's dense enough to absorb the juice when you dip it in the cup. And most importantly, it's not crumbly so as to avoid floaties in the top of the cup. <laughs> And so we're thankful for this gift that Eileen gives in behind the scenes quietly sharing this ministry with us. A few weeks ago, there was a little problem with the communion bread. Eileen noticed it probably before anyone else did. The bread wasn't quite baked enough. When Sarah tore it apart, well, it had an extra twisty kind of hair about it. It was dough in the middle. No harm was done, but it wasn't quite right. And Eileen noticed. And probably those who were serving communion that day noticed as well. It's hard not to notice when people are bringing off dough, right? <laughs> Half-baked bread leaves a little bit to be desired. What about half-baked ideas? They leave a little bit to be desired as well, don't they? My great-grandmother, Mary Falconer, used to bake a lot in her old-fashioned wood-burning oven. You know the kind I'm talking about? Even after electric ovens were a thing, she continued to bake with her old-fashioned wood-burning oven a lot. And the family stories say that if she was baking something and she took it out of the oven and then later discovered that it wasn't quite done, she would say, that cake needs a little more fire. And to this day, we still use this family's expression, that needs a little more fire. The truth is, sometimes our ideas need a little more fire as well. Maybe they begin with some kernel of truth, but they're just not quite finished. They need deeper reflection. They're half-baked. So today we're kicking off this six-week worship series that I'm really excited about, in which we're going to be exploring several half-baked ideas. The senseless things people say about God, primarily. Spiritual platitudes that get kind of tossed around without much thought. So what's a platitude? Someone define that word. Not a platypus, but a platitude. Anybody know that word? 
You know it, but how do you define, right? Anyone want to take a shot at it? Nobody does. Blank stares. A platitude is an overly used, overly simplistic, trite expression that we toss around. And there are hundreds of them in our English language. I'm sure they are baffling to many of our immigrant sisters and brothers who are learning English, these platitudes that we say. But the thing is, sometimes they actually convey messages that are untrue or even a little bit harmful. So over these six weeks, we're going to explore some of them, like the one we're starting with today. God will never give you more than you can handle. And then some others, like love the sinner, hate the sin, or uh, God helps those who... See, you've heard these before, right? These are spiritual platitudes that we toss around that are basically half-baked ideas. We're going to think about the harmful messages that they convey. Not intentionally, but just because. And then explore some of the positive truths, maybe on the other side of them, when the ideas are a little more baked, that actually can give us hope and life and guidance. So let's just jump right into this one. God will never give you more than you can handle. How many of you have heard that at one time or another? Yes. Some of you probably have even said it. I won't ask for a show of hands on that one. It's okay. Maybe you have even said it to yourself. And maybe at times you have actually found it a little bit comforting. Because it is a little bit comforting. What's the comforting part of that message? God will never give you more than you can handle. What part of that is comforting? God will give you the gifts you need to handle it. That's kind of the flip side of it. We're going to actually end up there. So I think the comforting part of it is you are stronger than you think you are. You are more capable, you are more resilient than you think you are. And that can be a little bit comforting, especially when we say this to ourselves. It's okay, deep breath, God will never give me more than I can handle. It's comforting when you say it to yourself, not so much when you say it to someone else. I mean, I can't really think of a good time when somebody is in the middle of some really hard thing that they're overwhelmed by for you to say, it's okay, God will never give you more than you can handle. It's kind of dismissive, isn't it? It's like saying, you can handle this, you're fine, stop whining. Right? I mean, that's, it's just two steps away from that. Yeah. Exactly. We're going to get there, too. Exactly. To tell someone that that awful thing they're dealing with is something that God gave them? Not helpful. It's a half-baked idea, friends. God will never give you more than you can handle. So in the Hebrew Bible, we're going to dig into this a little bit more, but first some words from Scripture. In the Hebrew Bible, in the book of Numbers, we read a story in which Moses is thinking that God has given him more than he can handle. So Moses has led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And where are they now? What came next? In the wilderness, right? Is the wilderness a fun place to be? Not so much. <laughs> but neither is slavery, right? So at this point, they've been in the wilderness about two years, 
It says, like, in the second month of the second year in which they're wandering around. That's a long time to be in the wilderness, right? They're wandering around, and the truth is that every time in the wilderness that they have faced a challenge, God has provided for their needs. Even when there isn't enough easily accessible food to eat, what does God do? Gives them manna from heaven, okay? It's this strange bread-like substance that falls with the dew. So when they wake up in the morning, there it is, all that they need. For the next week? No. Just for that day. One day at a time, God provides what they need. So they gather up the manna, and they eat it, and they're nourished. Doesn't taste like steak, but it'll do in a pinch, right? Except on the day before the Sabbath, when what happens? God provides two days worth of manna, so they don't have to work on the Sabbath. Amazing! Whatever challenge they're facing, God is providing for their needs. But now in the second year, how do you think people are feeling? Tired of manna. Tired of manna. <laughs> yes, you would too. They're starting to feel impatient. They're starting to grumble. Abandoned. They're starting to feel abandoned. They're not so happy. And you know what's really weird? But not all that surprising? They're actually feeling a little nostalgic for Egypt. At least in Egypt, you know, we had three meals a day. We didn't have to go gather up this awful stuff. They're starting to grumble and actually wish they were back in slavery. But how do you think Moses feels about this? Come on, people. You were slaves. I rescued you from slavery. I know we're still in the wilderness. Be patient with me here. It's getting difficult. So that's where this story picks up, from Numbers chapter 11. Moses heard the people crying throughout their clans, each at his tent's entrance. The Lord was outraged, and Moses was upset. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you treated your servants so badly? And why haven't I found favor in your eyes, for you have placed the burden of all these people on me. Moses is angry here, right? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them? That you would say to me, carry them at the breast as a nurse carries an unweaned child. No, the fertile land that you promised their ancestors. Where am I to get meat for all these people? They are crying before me and saying, give us meat so we can eat. I can't bear this people on my own. They're too heavy for me. If you're going to treat me like this, please, God, kill me. If I found favor in your eyes, then don't let me endure this wretched situation. Can you commiserate with Moses a little bit here? Can you imagine what he's going through? Moses is saying, come on, God, what gives? They say you'll never give us more than we can handle. <laughs> this is more than I can handle, God. This is more than I can handle. I am in over my head here. And if this is going to keep up, just finish me off, because I am done, God. Can't you just hear him saying this? In a really bad moment, all by himself somewhere, Right? Can you just imagine this? 
Please, God, stop. And who could blame him? Right? So what does God say? Hey, listen, buddy. I told you I'd never give you more than you could handle. No, that's not what God says. The Lord said to Moses, Gather before me 70 men from Israel's elders, whom you know as elders and officers of the people. Take them to the meeting tent and let them stand there with you. Then I'll descend and speak with you there. I'll take some of the spirit that is on you and place it on them. And then they will carry the burden of the people with you so that you won't bear it alone. What does God say? What's that? Share what? Share the burden. Share the burden, right? Find a new strategy. Let's find a new strategy because clearly this is not working, right? It's not working for the people. It's not working for you. What's that? You need a team. You need a team because no one can bear that much of a burden all alone. God says, you're right, Moses, actually. This is more than you can handle. The burden that you are facing here is too great. You are in over your head. And I am here to guide you and strengthen you for the days ahead. And also, Moses, don't forget, you're surrounded by this big community of people. So let's work together to figure out how to share this load. The truth is, sometimes a burden shared is a burden lifted, right? Sometimes a burden shared is a burden lifted. So what's the problem, then, with God will never give you more than you can handle? Because essentially it's saying, God has given you a whole bunch of bad stuff, but don't worry, God will stop just at the point when you can't handle it anymore. <laughs> I mean, how helpful is that? Right? Don't worry, God's going to push you absolutely to your breaking point. But then when you get right to that edge, before you fall off the cliff, God will rescue you. Not all that helpful. Not all that helpful. Maybe even God will keep giving you, keep sending you challenges and trials and tragedy, but only right up to that point when you're about to crumble, and then God will stop. What kind of God is that? Do you see what I'm saying? The truth is, people often have more than they can handle. Do you know anyone right now who is dealing with more than they can I know lots of people. I know lots of people who right now are dealing with more than they can handle, and more than they should have to handle. Maybe you have felt like that at one time or another. Maybe you are feeling like that right now. That, face, that you're facing a situation that is bigger and more pressing than you can handle. I absolutely do not believe that God makes bad things happen to us for some bigger purpose. I'm just going to say that. I do not believe that God makes bad things happen to us for some greater purpose. Does God give us cancer? Does God cause a child to die? Or a parents to lose a child? Does God orchestrate situations of abuse and poverty and homelessness? Does God cause earthquakes that leave hundreds of people dead? 
Does God lead people to the gas chambers of Nazi Germany because God felt they could handle it? I mean, how far do we want to go with this, right? Of course, that used to be the dominant worldview. That whatever was happening was part of some big cosmic plan that we can't understand now, but in the by and by, it'll all be clear to us. That used to be the dominant worldview. Before people understood what caused thunder, what assumptions did they make? When there was thunder and lightning. God was angry. God was angry. And what if it was an earthquake? God was even angrier, right? But now we understand how the laws of physics and the universe work a little bit better. We understand a little bit more about an earthquake. We know that the outer surface of the earth is made up of tectonic plates that are always kind of slowly shifting. And once in a while, there's a big sudden shift that causes a break along a fault that releases a sudden burst of energy that causes seismic waves that make the ground shake. That's an earthquake. It's not God being angry. And sometimes when that happens, it leads to devastating loss of life and destruction. Does God make that happen for some bigger reason? To teach us something? No. Maybe you'd like to read this book written by John Piper. Don't waste your cancer. The author argues that cancer is an opportunity to glorify God. And according to this author, with whom I disagree, you will be wasting your cancer if, among other things, you don't believe God designed your cancer just for you. If you believe that your cancer is anything other than a gift from God, and seek comfort in the prospect of your survival. This is what he argues in this book. Now, Piper is a cancer survivor himself. So I assume that these ideas brought him some comfort and strength. I don't presume to question that. But I do think his ideas are theologically half-baked and potentially harmful to those who are living with the challenge of cancer. Tragic things happen in life. The truth is, none of us will have a perfectly smooth life, right? You can't get through life without dealing with some kind of loss or tragedy or grief or struggle. You just can't. Our bodies are not perfect. Our bodies are not perfect, and the universe is not perfect, right? And there are consequences to our behaviors and the behaviors of others. And some things are just kind of random. Scientists estimate that there are 37 million cells. Scientists estimate that there are 37 trillion cells in the human body. Now, just take a minute and breathe and think. 37 trillion. Okay, that is a number that is far too great to even comprehend. Okay, there are billions just in your heart alone. 37 trillion cells, but once in a while, a couple of those cells will mutate. And for whatever reason, they don't get destroyed by the body's natural immune system, and so they replicate. And sometimes, they multiply out of control and end up harming other cells and overtaking the body. That's cancer. 
God does not give this to you because God thinks you can handle it. Okay? Now, one caveat, because probably at one time or another, all of us have had the experience of living through a difficult time and then seeing later how something good came from it. Have you had that experience? Some really hard thing that you just were burdened by. And then on the other side of it, when things sort of leveled out, looking back on it, you could see that something good came from it. Okay? Maybe it's, I mean, just to use a very simple example, maybe you lost a job, okay? And it was terrible. You were unemployed for a long time, you were fearful about the future, you were devastated, and then later on you got a job that ended up being much better than the job you had before. Okay? That happens. And I really do believe that God can take the really difficult things that we go through and use them for something good. Okay? That's just one example of the job, but you can come up with other examples, I'm sure, from your own life. I think about these words from Scripture. All things work together for good for those who love God, from Romans 8. And there's a lot of truth to that. But that is not the same as saying that God gives you the horrible time of suffering so that God can accomplish something else. Okay, there's a big difference there. I know they feel the same in some ways. God can take times of hardship and struggle and pain and use them for something good. But that's not the same as God pulling strings and orchestrating hardship and suffering in your life. Okay? I just want to make that distinction. So where is God when life is hard? The truth is, found in these words in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. Where is God when we're dealing with cancer? Not the one who gave us cancer, but what? The one giving us strength to endure the hardships of cancer. Where is God in the midst of pain and struggle and loss? Right in the middle of it, closer than the air we breathe, giving us the strength and the courage and the wisdom and the guidance to deal with it. Where was God in the midst of the Nazi gas chambers? In the midst of the Nazi gas chambers, that's where God was. Right there in that terrible situation, God is, was, fully present with us in our suffering. Not the cause of our suffering, but the source of our strength. God is love. And God's nature is to bless and to guide and to strengthen, not to curse not to trip us up, not to knock us down or sling arrows at us when we're struggling. This is what Jean said almost at the beginning. God doesn't give us what we can handle. God helps us handle what we are given. I'm not sure you even like the word given at the end of that sentence, but I know what they're talking about. God helps us handle the situations we find ourselves in. So maybe right now, Maybe right now you are struggling. Maybe life is really hard and you're feeling like you have more than you can handle. 
Maybe you're even wondering what you've done to deserve the challenges you're facing. Or maybe you're walking with someone else in their time of struggle. Hear this. God will give you strength. God will be a refuge and a strength in a, a very present help in trouble. You are stronger than you think you are. You are more resilient than you think you are. But not because you're self-sufficient. Not because you have superpowers. Not because you're equipped to deal with life's challenges entirely on your own. But because you can rely on God's strength and the strength of this community. Because God really is for us. Because nothing, not life or death, not angels or rulers, not things present or things to come, not powers, not height or depth, not anything else in all creation, nothing will be able to separate us from God's great love made known to us in Jesus. God will never give you more than you can handle. That's a half-baked idea. But God will help you handle all that you face in life. So let's pray. God, sometimes life is overwhelming. We find ourselves facing struggles, burdens, challenges, hardships that are too great to bear. And we sometimes even wonder where you are. But again and again, you promise us that you will be our refuge and our strength. You'll be our very present help in times of trouble. So God, we trust in you, and we open our hearts to you, and we listen for your voice calling out to us, reminding us that you love us, that we are yours, that we can trust in your grace. God, we place ourselves in your hands. In Jesus' name. Amen.